Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the RevX podcast. This episode is Spookin' Word. These are all performances from our last live event where we did uh, horror and scary and spooky stories. I will note that this is not safe for work and there's some pretty graphic imagery in a few of these stories, so listen at your own uh, peril. Um, this thing features uh, performances from your host, Professor Rex, uh, but also Leila Rossi, Tamakazi, Samara, Sean Logue, Carlo Whedon, and Nasser are also performing in various parts of the show. Most people do more than one thing, so you'll hear them at different parts. Um, and uh, upcoming stuff for the rest of the week are Thursday uh, podcast, but Thursday post will be um, the next, the third part of our job interview series. Then next week, we will have two different episodes on the topic of toxic masculinity. The first one will air will be an all-female panel, and then the second will be an all-male panel. Um, and then we have other stuff coming up in the weeks after that. Um, this Sunday, we are doing Karaoke Idiot at the Pinch at 8 o'clock. If you are, or we'll probably get started a little after 8, 8.30ish or so. There's there's a, a uh, event before that from some marijuana group and there might be some edibles and various things available. So if you're coming for the green day thing, the karaoke edit, you might want to come in a little early and check out the prior event. Uh, as soon as I get the details from Dan at the pinch, I'll share them on the uh, RevX page. Um, and we are also, we have started uh, casting for voice actors for a upcoming fictional true crime podcast. So uh, it's going to be called All American, a fake crime podcast, and uh, we'll start. Uh, we've started recording on that, and we'll start um, uh, casting for the rest of the parts. And we should have an episode of that in November. The first episode should appear in November. So, um, also our last big event for the year is going to be December third, and that will be at the Pinch also, and that's a, a full on concert. We're still. Um, talking to artists about it. We've definitely, you'll definitely see Picasso Hut and you'll see Professor Rex and you'll see Sarah Stardust. And there's, you know, between three and five other acts that we've talked to about. And once they're confirmed, I'll let you know. Um, so, uh, listen to a uh, spooking word, um, grab, you know, some kind of protective device or armor or something. Cause there's some scary stuff coming your way. All right. So welcome to the Revix spooking word brunch. Yeah. <laughs> Which will actually be our, uh, this will be our uh, Halloween week podcast. We'll put this out with this telling of the scary stories. And I'm going to start with a scary story from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, of which I'm going to get one of these pictures as a tattoo of it. These things are so ridiculously scary. Um, I'm going to start off with this one. Though. This one's called The Big Toe. A boy was digging at the edge of a garden when he saw a big toe. He tried to pick it up, but it was stuck to something. So he gave it a good hard jerk, and it came off in his hand. Then he heard something groan and scamper away. The boy took the toe into the kitchen and showed it to his mother. It looks nice and plump, she said. I'll put it in the soup, and we'll have it for supper. That night, his father carved the toe into three pieces, and they each had a piece. They did the dishes, and when it got dark, they went to bed. The boy fell asleep almost at once. But in the middle of the night, a sound awakened him. It was something out in the street. It was a voice, and it was calling to him. 
Where is my toe? It groaned. When the boy heard that, he got very scared. But he thought, it doesn't know where I am. It'll never find me. Then he heard the voice once more. Only now, it was closer. Where is my toe? It groaned. The boy pulled the blankets up over his head and closed his eyes. I'll go to sleep, he thought. When I wake up, it'll be gone. Was it, so he's going with the first part of the there. To pull the sheets up over me. Right. But soon he heard the back door open. And again, he heard the voice. Where is my toe? It groaned. The boy heard footsteps moving through the kitchen into the dining room, into the living room, into the front hall. And slowly, they climbed the stairs. Closer and closer they came. Soon they were in the upstairs hall. Now they were in the outside door. Where is my toe? The voice purple. <laughs> His door opened. Shaking with fear, he listened as the footsteps slowly moved through the dark towards the bed. And then they stopped. Where is my toe? The voice groaned. You got it! Not happy? All right, I made an ass joke. All right, all right. That was that one. <laughs> I made an ass joke. That's a success. <laughs> all right, now someone else's turn. Yay! Woo! Tell us who you are. I'm Layla. Hi, Layla. I'm going to also read from the same volume of scary stories to tell in the dark. I will be reading a piece called May I Carry Your Basket. Okay. Sam Lewis spent the evening playing chess at his friend's house. It was about midnight when they finished their game and he started home. Outside it was icy cold and as quiet as the grave. As he came around to turn the road, he was surprised to see a woman walking ahead of him. She was carrying a basket covered with a white cloth. When he caught up to her, he looked to see who it was, but she was so bundled up against the cold, it was hard to see her face. Good evening, Sam said. What brings you out so late? But she didn't answer. Then he said, may I carry your basket? She handed it to him. From under the cloth, a small voice said, that's very nice of you and that was followed by wild laughter. Sam was so startled that he dropped the basket and out rolled a woman's head. He looked at the head and he stared at the woman. It's her head, he cried, and he started to run, and the woman and her head began to chase him. Soon, the head caught up to him. It bounded into the air and sunk its teeth into his left leg. Sam screamed with pain and ran faster, but the woman and her head stayed right behind. Soon, the head leaped into the air again and bit into his other leg. Then, it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> it's her turn. Yes. Yes. Sadly, my costume has nothing to do with my head roll. But, you know. Which will be good to know for the podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you can see. All right. Um, so uh, this is a work in progress, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm lying there, staring up upward gaze like I've done thousands thousands of times in peaceful serene. It's peaceful and 
It takes some grandfather clock in the background, and then it stops. The only, I only hear a mono pitch held for seconds at a time, tens of seconds at a time. I go sit up, and something is definitely wrong. My head is spinning, aching, which isn't strange. I've had this experience before, time to time. What's strange is my eyes we wet uncontrollably with excessive drops of ice solution feelings pouring in and out. The, the, the uncontrolled moisture is streaming somewhat down my face and onto my lip, which is now flavored salted tears, but sugary syrup, um, which is still majorly disgusting because it's nice and sticky. If this was not bad enough, my eyes are no longer in control of the white balance in my head. It's going dark room orange to full saturation bright levels, seconds at a time. All I can ask myself, what in the blazes? What comes out in my own voice? Blazes to you too. All I can think, that's not what I said. And I hear my voice echo back, ha ha, you think I care what you say? Oh yeah, you should wipe that puzzled look off your face. There's no interior monologue here. I ask myself, where am I? What's going on? My voice sings back to me. Where or where can you be? I have taken you away from me. <laughs> me, me, me. I go to push myself up to my feet, my hands shredded with slithers of paper cuts, and only to have my gravitational spin in my head just head dive back into the ground. Sprawled out, feeling the slashes of paper cuts from my from my head dive. I'm like, what is cutting me? In this multiple focus imaging. By uncontrollable lighting, I'm able to process a image of literally green, glistening blades of grass wetted with fresh blood, my blood. As I struggle to my knees, a breezy, heavy downpour ensues. At first, it's most likely rain, just rains of blood. I make it to my knees, only my knees, in these blades of grass. Shivering now at, as the touch has significantly dropped. My eyes return to norm, only to have it go completely dark. And a spotlight orange beams down on me. I go to make a heavy sigh, I, to only hear my voice speak back to me. Now you're ready for the haunted house experience that you so markedly left off. Appearing in front of me, through the rain, is a derelict Victorian house. In my own voice, I hear, you should always fear the traps of your own mind. It's going to be a long night since there's no more ticking clocks here. All right. Woo! So, that was very good. Tom just wrote that, like, this minute. No, he wrote it recently, so that's an original piece by Tom there. Give it up for Tom. All right, so we have we have the Alvin Schwartz scary stories to tell in the dark 
dark, some of the scariest books ever. If you want to pick one out from one of those and read them, or if you have something else you want to do original or something else you might have access to, you can do that. I'm going to do another one here to give someone else a turn. This one is in the funny section. It's not very funny. <laughs> it's called Wait Till Martin Comes. An old man was out for a walk. When a storm came up, he looked for a place to take shelter. Soon, he came to an old house. He ran up on the porch and knocked on the door, but nobody answered. But now the rain was pouring down. Thunder was booming and lightning was flashing. So he tried the door. When he found it was unlocked, he went inside. Except for a pile of wooden boxes, the house was empty. He broke up some of the boxes and made a fire with them. Then he sat down in front of the fire and dried himself. It was so warm and cozy that he fell asleep. When he woke up, a black cat was sitting near the fire. It stared at him for a while, then it purred. That's a nice cat, he thought, then he dozed off again. When he opened his eyes, there was a second cat in the room. But this one was as big as a wolf. It looked at him very closely and it asked, Shall we do it now? No, said the other cat. Let's wait till Martin comes. I must be dreaming, thought the old man. He closed his eyes again. Then he took another look. By now, there was a third cat in the room. And this one is as big as a tiger. It looked, at the, old, it looked the old man over and it asked, Shall we do it now? No, said the others. Let's wait till Martin comes. The old man jumped up, jumped out the window and started running. When Martin comes, you tell him I couldn't wait, he called. <laughs> it's funny. All right, someone else is starting. Hi, hello. Um, I can almost reach this thing. Much better. This one is called The Ghost with the Bloody Fingers. A businessman arrives at a hotel late one night and asks for a room. The room clerk told him the hotel was all filled up. There's only one empty room, he said, but we don't rent it that one because it is haunted. I'll take it, said the businessman. I don't believe in ghosts. The man went up to the room. He unpacked his things and he went to bed. As soon as he did, a ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were bleeding and it was moaning. Bloody fingers, bloody fingers. When the man saw the ghost, he grabbed his things and ran. The next night, a woman arrived very late. Again, all the rooms were taken, except for the haunted room. I'll sleep there, she said. I'm not afraid of ghosts. As soon as she got into bed, the ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were still bleeding. It was still moaning. Bloody fingers, bloody fingers. And the woman took one look and ran. A week later, another guest arrived very late. He also took the haunted room. After he unpacked, he got out of his guitar and he began to play. Soon, the ghost appeared. As before, its fingers were bleeding and it was moaning. Bloody fingers, bloody fingers. The man paid no attention. He just kept strumming his guitar. But the ghost kept moaning and its fingers kept bleeding. Finally, the guitar player looked up and he said, Cool it, man. Get yourself a bandy. Whatever you want. Yeah, I want you to memorize, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try. This 
yeah. I want the professional improviser to improvise, yeah. <laughs> Do we need to give you words? I'm going to ask you a few, for a few things, but first, give me a, any word. Well, first, tell us who you are. Oh, would you like to know who I am? <laughs> yeah! Yeah! I am Sean Logue. Hello! Hey! I am a new-ish improviser. Maybe you can tell, maybe you can't tell. We'll see. Would anybody like to give me any word they can think of off the top of their head? Boobies! Boobies, okay. <laughs> Great. Now I'd like to get a temperature. Give me any temperature if you think of. 42 degrees. 42 degrees, okay. And what's the mood? Summer. Dark Summer. and spooky! Alright, I'll use both. Summer, dark, and spooky. They're like so the unrelated. There was one boy named Kevin. He grew up in a small town in Idaho. It was a temperate spring, a temperature of only 42 degrees. Spring in Idaho was not as warm as it would be in other parts of the country. So <laughs> he went up to this haunted house in the middle of the spring. A lot of people usually only go and around Halloween. But for some reason, he said, I should try this. I, I can go any time of year. But then he went inside to this house. He crept along very slowly. And he looked to, to his right, and everything looked fine. He looked to his left, and everything looked fine. I mean, the house itself was actually in pretty good shape. Uh, it was well-maintained. The paint was pristine. Everything inside was laid out just fine. It didn't give that old, abandoned feel. He, he wondered why no one would want to come outside of October, around Halloween. He thought, hey, I could just be here any time. And he, he walked up the stairs, and he checked out the bedroom, and the bedroom looked nice. The beds were all made, the linens were all folded, and everything looked just fine. But then, he went back downstairs into the kitchen. Something was a little bit amiss. He looked around, there were a couple of cups laying out, and he didn't know why those cups were just laying on the table. They were half filled, there was a little bit of, little bit of water just sitting off of the table. And he just didn't feel right for a second. So Kevin started to walk away, and when he turned around, there was this big woman who had these large bosoms. <laughs> He walked through her, and he freaked out because, is that woman alive? She looked really alive. She looked very full of life, but yet he somehow walked through her. Kevin said to myself, am I imagining this? How could I walk through such a woman? <laughs> but he did. So he said, okay, I can't be doing this. This is wrong. But I need to get out of here, because this is, this is not right. 
And her name's Kat. She's looked around and said, What are you doing here? <laughs> You're not supposed to be here this time of year. And he tried to run away. Kathy would just swoosh around and swoosh around. And Kathy said, I will get you for this. Kevin was freaking out. He, was, he didn't know what to say. He was just standing still. Standing still. But all of a sudden, in the corner, some glass broke. It was back at the table. And there was a little bit of a tripping, a little bit of tripping, and the water just started to boil at a hot temperature for no reason. How long is this happening? Kevin said. I'm gonna get you for this, Kathy said. <laughs> and Kathy, very angry that she's disturbed at this inappropriate time of year. She only entertains in October. <laughs> Kathy went to Kevin and tried to grab him, but then, as she was approaching Kevin's neck, went right through him. Nothing happened. Unfortunately for Kathy, she was at a loss. Oh. I want to get you so bad for this. But there's only so much I can do. I can't strangle you like I'd like to. And yet, for some reason, as you remember, that water was escalating in temperature. And the water was starting to expand throughout the room. And all of a sudden, the house wasn't pristine anymore. It was disarray, just like you would expect from a haunted house. Everything was out of place. And Kevin was just completely frozen. Had no idea what was going on. He's like, Kevin just could not comprehend what was going on. Kevin decided finally after pausing for a good two straight minutes, I need to get the hell out of here. And he ran and he ran and ran. And the house completely fell apart and went to the ground and all was just a bunch of rubble. Kevin just barely got away. But then Kathy went loose and started to haunt the entire town. And you know, I made all of that up. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think that's easier than it sounds, it's not. It's harder than it sounds. <laughs> Good job, Sean. Got uh, another reader? RevX, we invent new kinds of fun. <laughs> Called Footsteps. Liz was doing her homework at the dining room table. Her younger sister Sarah was asleep upstairs. Their mother was out, but she was expected back any minute. When the front door opened and shut, Liz called, Hello, Mama. But her mother didn't answer. 
and the footsteps Liz heard were heavier, like a man's. Who's there? She called. No one replied. She heard whoever it was walk through the living room, then up the stairs to the second floor. The footsteps moved from one bedroom to another. Again, Liz called. Who's there? The footsteps stopped. Then she thought, oh my god, Sarah's in her bedroom. She ran upstairs to Sarah's room. Only Sarah was there, and she was asleep. Liz looked in the other rooms, but found no one. She went back down to the dining room, scared out of her wits. Soon she heard footsteps again. They were coming down the stairs into the living room. Now they, were in, now they went into the kitchen. Then the door between the kitchen and the dining room slowly began to open. Get out! Liz screamed. The door slowly closed. The footsteps moved out of the kitchen, through the living room, toward the front door. The door opened and shut. Liz ran to the window to see who it was. No one was in sight. Nor were there any footprints in the fresh snow that had fallen. This New Old House by Bad Out of Hell, you do one. <laughs> we bought an old house, my boyfriend and I. He's in charge of the new construction, converting the kitchen into the master, into the, into the master bedroom, for instance, while I'm on wallpaper removal duty. The previous owner papered every wall and ceiling. Removing it is brutal, but oddly satisfying. The best feeling is getting a long peel, similar to your skin when you're peeling from a sunburn. I don't know about you, but I made a game with the peeling on the hunt for the longest piece before it rips. The funny thing was, I noticed under a corner section of every single paper in every room is a person's name and a date. Curiosity got the better of me one night, so I googled one of the names, and it turned out to be a missing person's name. The missing and the date matched the date they went missing. So the next day I made a list of all the names and all the dates. Sure enough, each name was for a missing person with the dates to match. So we notified the cops who sent out their forensics team and when they when they completed the, they looked at the uh, they looked at the wallpaper and they said one one said, Yep, it's human. I said, Human? What's human? Ma'am, where's the material you removed from the walls? This isn't wallpaper you were removing. Oh. Yikes! <laughs> this one's called The Appointment. <clears throat> A 16-year-old boy worked on his grandfather's horse farm. One morning, he drove a pickup truck into town on an errand. While he was walking along the main street, he saw death. Death beckoned to him. The boy drove back to the farm as fast as he could, and he told his grandfather what had happened. Give me the truck, he begged. I'll go into the city. He'll never find me there. His grandfather gave him the truck, and the boy sped away. After he left, his grandfather went into town looking for death. When he found him, he asked, Why did you frighten my grandson that way? He is only 16. He is too young to die. I'm sorry about that, said death. I did not mean to beckon to him, but I was surprised to see him there. You see, I have an appointment with him this afternoon in the city. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, new story. This one's called Strangers. A man and a woman happened to sit next to each other on a train. A woman took out a book and began reading. The train stopped at half a dozen stations, but she never looked up once. The man watched her for a while, then asked, What are you reading? It's a ghost story, she said. It's very good, very spooky. Do you believe in ghosts? He asked. Yes, I do, she replied. There are ghosts everywhere. I don't believe in them, he said. It's just a lot of superstition. In all my years, I haven't seen a ghost, not one. Haven't you? said the woman, and vanished. <laughs> <laughs>
This was a place I had never ventured before. Hell, I'm a mid-level executive at a Fortune 500 company. What would I be doing hanging out with the maintenance people? I looked around and didn't see much. I went into the break room, the supervisor's office, the bathroom, nothing. Last stop was the warehouse. When I opened the door, I almost immediately heard something crash to the ground. Sort of like a lead pipe falling on a concrete floor or something like that. Hello? Is anyone there? The minute I said it, I felt like an idiot. It was such a cliche thing to say. The exact same thing every victim said in every horror movie. I did what you might expect. Like all those horror movie victims, I walked cautiously towards the sound. I should have run the other way and got the heck out of there. Since I've been dead, I've learned that I would have been right to run away. I'd have still been alive, at least for a little while longer. Truthfully, I never really... I was never really someone who was good in a crisis. I, may have made it, I might have made it out of the office building, but I'm sure one of the other things out there would have gotten me sooner or later. I usually freeze like a deer in headlights. That's pretty much what I did when the thing came at me. I might have screamed. I don't really remember. You'd think that when you were dead, you'd get to remember everything you forgot in life. But it doesn't work that way. If you forgot it, you forgot it. Maybe if I were in heaven, but it doesn't really seem like they were telling us the truth on that one either. So I rounded the corner to the aisle where I heard the noise. The room was filled with boxes and boxes of pipes and plastic things and connectors and the like. I guess this is where they got all this stuff anytime the plumbing problems anywhere, anytime they had plumbing problems anytime in the building. The problem was that the thing waiting in the pipe aisle heard me right before I heard it. It was slow, but it had the complete drop on me. I was surprised and I froze. Right after I turned the corner, it was standing right there. I don't know how to describe it. It looked sort of like one of those things from one of the Romero movies, but the makeup was much better. Maybe it was more like something from 28 Days Later or Resident Evil. Either way, it was ugly, bloody, and it stunk to high hell. <laughs> then it grabbed me. That's when I knew this wasn't something from a movie, and I knew I wasn't asleep. The second it touched me, my skin began to burn. Not like acid, either. This was burning like I was on fire. At the same time, it was like the coldest thing I had ever felt. One thing that was like the movies was the next thing it did was bite me. And it didn't just latch on, it bit me and held tight. And then it ripped the muscle in my left shoulder right off my body. Really, you think you know the meaning of pain. You sprained your ankle, you've broken your arm, you had kidney stones, you had something that you got from some girl in Portland Convention that made your piss burn. But you've never known anything like the combination of your skin burning and a muscle being ripped from your body. I don't know what you I don't know what you would have done, but I pissed myself. At least that didn't burn. Everything else burned. The thing let go of my arms, where it grabbed me at first and grabbed me by the head, then it bit my nose off. I'm pretty sure I screamed again. Tears rolled down my face and I shit myself. I feel embarrassed about it, but who really gives a fuck how you look when you're being eaten alive? The good news was that when it came back to take a bite out of the side of my head that ripped off most of my right cheek and ear, I passed out. I never woke up after that, but I continued to feel pain for a while. Then I died. You think that my story would be over at this point, since the thing won and I'm no longer part of your world. You'd be wrong. I'm awake now, and I'm hungry. Oh, yeah. Those last two lines were written today. <laughs> I had a different ending. It wasn't as good. Yeah. Like the wolf. Yeah, that is definitely directly relevant. Yeah, All right. So I remember seeing a post a while, a while back with uh, a bunch of spooky stories in two sentences. And <laughs> uh, I re-looked them up, and here are a few. I began tucking him into bed, and he tells me, 
Mommy, check for monsters under my bed. I look underneath for his amusement and see him, another him, under the bed, staring back at me and quivering and whispering, Mommy, there's somebody on my bed. I can't move, breathe, speak, or hear it. It's, and it's really dark all the time. If I knew it would be this lonely, I would have been cremated instead. I woke up, I woke up to hear knocking on glass. At first I thought it was the window, until I heard it come from the mirror again. Don't be scared of the monsters, just look for them. Look to your left, look to your right, under your bed, behind your dresser, in your closet. But never look up, she hates being seen. <laughs> it sat on my shelf with thoughtless porcelain eyes and the prettiest pink doll dress I could find. Why does she have to be born still? Oh, or born still? Oh, wow. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That one's dark. Yeah. <laughs> you get home, tired after a long day's work and ready for a relaxing night alone. You reach for the light switch, but another hand is already there. <laughs>
but it was nothing like that. The cap on the bottle of starch had somehow become unscrewed, and the bottle had tipped over and spilled. The, then, bottles all over the house began popping. Bottles of nail polish remover, shampoo, bleach, rubbing alcohol, and even a bottle of holy water. Uh-oh. Each had a screw cap that took two or three full turns to open, but each had opened by itself, without any human help, then had fallen over and spilled. What's going on here? Mrs. Ramirez asked. Nobody knew. But the popping soon stopped and everything went back to normal. It was just one of those crazy things they decided and put it out of their minds. Thursday, February 6th. Bum bum! Just after Hector and Nancy got home from school, six more bottles popped their caps. The next day, at about the same time, another six did. Sunday, February 9th. Bum bum. At 11 o'clock that morning, <laughs> Hector was in the bathroom brushing his teeth. His father was standing in the doorway talking to them. All of a sudden, a bottle of medicine began moving across the vanity by itself and fell into the sink. At the same time, a bottle of shampoo moved to the edge of the vanity and crashed to the floor. They watched, spellbound. I better call the police, Mr. Ramirez said. That afternoon, a patrolman interviewed the family as bottles popped into, in the bathroom. The police suggest, assigned a detective named Ice T to the case. <laughs> detective T was a practical man. <laughs> when something moved, he believed that a human or an animal had moved it, or that it had moved because of a vibration or the wind or some other natural cause. He did not believe in ghosts. When the Ramirez's and said they had nothing to do with what was going on, he thought at least one of them was lying. He wanted to examine the house. Then he wanted to talk to some experts and find out what they thought. Tuesday, February 11th. The bottle of holy water that had opened a week before opened a second time and spilled. Two days later, it spilled again. Saturday, February 15th. Bong, bong. Hector, Nancy, and a relative were watching TV in the living room in 1958. When a small porcelain statue rose up from the table, it flew three feet through the air and then fell to the rug. Monday, February 17th. Bong, bong. A priest blessed the Ramirez's house to protect it against whatever was causing the trouble. Thursday, February 20th. Bong, bong. Well, Hector, doing his homework at one end of the dining room table, a sugar bowl at the other end of the table flew into the hall and crashed. Detective T saw it happen. Later, a bottle of ink on the table flew into a wall and broke, spattering it in all directions. Then, another porcelain statue took off. It traveled 12 feet and smashed into a desk. How long? So long. No, wait, two more pages. Friday, February 21st. Bomba. To get some peace, the Lombardos, what? The Ramirez's went to relatives' house for the weekend. While they were gone, everything at home was normal. Sunday, February 23rd. Bomba. When the Ramirez's returned, another sugar roll took off. It flew into a wall and smashed into smithereens. Later, a heavy bureau in Hector's room toppled over, but no one was in the room when it happened. 
Monday, February 24th. By now, Detective Ice-T had talked to an engineer, a chemist, a physicist, and others. Some <laughs> felt that the vibrations of the house were causing trouble. These could come from underground water, they said, or from high-frequency radio waves, or from sonic booms caused by airplanes. Others said that the electrical system was the cause, or downdrafts coming through the chimney. The popping of bottles was blamed on chemicals the bottles contained. Tests showed that there were no vibrations in the house, and there was nothing wrong with the electrical system, and there were no chemicals in the bottles that would make them pop. Then what was causing the trouble? None of the experts knew, but every day the Ramirez's received dozens of letters and telephone calls from people who thought they did know. Manslayers. Many believed the house was haunted. They thought that poltergeists on the Noisy ghosts that is blamed when things move around on their own. No one has proved that poltergeists exist, but people everywhere have told stories about them for hundreds of years, and what they have told was not too different from what was happening to the Ramirez's. Detective T did not, of course, believe in poltergeists, obviously. He had begun to believe that Hector Ramirez might be to blame. Whenever something happened, Hector was usually at the room or nearby. When he accused Hector of causing the trouble, the boy denied it. I don't know what's going on, he said. All I know is that it scares me. People said that Detective uh, Ice-T was a tough cop who would turn in his mother if, he, if she did something wrong. But he believes Hector. Only now he didn't know what to think. Tuesday, February 25th. Bum bum. A newspaper reporter came into the house to interview the family. Afterward, he sat in the living room by himself, hoping that something would happen and that he could describe in his story. Hector's room was just across the hall from where the reporter sat. The boy had gone to bed, but he had left his door open. Suddenly, a globe of the world flew out of the darkened room and smashed into a wall. The reporter dashed into the bedroom and turned on the light. Tom was sitting in bed. Hector was sitting Tom. in bed, blinking, as if he had just been awakened from a sound sleep. What was that? he asked. Wednesday, February 20th. In the morning, nope. a small plastic statue of the Virgin Mary rose up from a dresser in Mr. and Mrs. Ramirez's bedroom and flew into the mirror. That night, while Hector was doing his homework, a 10-pound record player took off from the table, flew 15 feet, and then crashed to the floor. Friday, February 28th. Bum bum. Two scientists arrived from Duke University in North Carolina. They were parapsychologists who studied experiences like those in the Ramirez's were having. They spent several days talking to the family and examining the house, trying to understand what was going on and what was causing it. One night, a bottle of bleach popped its top. That was all that happened during their visit. They did not tell the Ramirez's about a theory they had about a poltergeist actually might be involved in such cases. According to this idea, poltergeists were not ghosts. They were normal teenagers. They had become so troubled by a problem that their emotions built up into a kind of vibration. Since it was taking place in their unconscious minds, they didn't even know what was happening. But the vibration somehow left their bodies and moved whatever it struck. It happened again and again until the problem had been solved. Scientists had given the strength power a name. They called it psychokinesis, the ability to move objects with mental power or mind over matter. No one knew if this would really happen or how to prove it, 
Yet most reports to poltergeist did involve families with teenage children, and two of the teenagers were in the Ramirez family. March 3rd. Bum, bum. The parapsychologists said that they would prepare a report on what they had learned. The day after, they left the, tr they left the trouble returned with a vengeance. Tuesday, March 4th. Bum, bum. In the afternoon, a bowl of flowers flew off the dining room table and smashed into a cupboard. Then a bottle of bleach jumped out of the cardboard box and popped its top. Then a bookcase filled with encyclopedias fell over and wedged itself between a radiator and a wall. Then a flashlight bulb on a table rose up and hit a wall 12 feet away. Finally, four knocks were heard coming from the kitchen when nobody was in that room. Wednesday, March 5th. Bum, bum. While Mrs. Lombard... Mrs. Ramirez was making breakfast. She heard a loud crash in the living room. The coffee table had turned over by itself, but that was the end of it. After a month of chaos, everything returned to normal. Star. In August, the two parapsychologists gave their report. They decided that the Ramirez's had not made up the story, nor had they imagined it. Their trouble had been real, but what had caused it? They said no pranks or tricks were involved, nor was any magic. As the police had done, they also ruled out vibrations from underground water and other physical causes. The only explanation they could not rule out was the possibility that a teenage poltergeist had been at work, moving objects with mental power. They did not have enough evidence to prove it, but it was the only answer they had. If it was a poltergeist, they thought it was Hector. If they were right, if a normal boy like Hector had become a poltergeist, this might also happen to other teenagers. It may even happen to you. Woo! Bum, bum. <laughs> so this is Detective Ice-T. So you mean like when a portal in your basement opens up to another demonic dimension? Yeah. Or like when you're flying on an airplane and there are gremlins on the wing? All right, so I'm going to do one more and then anybody else can still do so. I got one more. This one is called... The Fright Before Christmas. Whoa. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the town, not a creature was stirring, not even a zombie. Seven virgins were hung in the forest with care, a sacrifice in hopes that satanic would soon be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds with cannibals coming to saw off their heads. And Mama with her Uzi and I with my shotgun, evil coming to get us, we thought we were done. When out on the lawn there arose, arose such a clatter, my night, late, my night was likely to end with a splatter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The blood-red moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave, lust, gave the luster of hell to the objects below. When from a giant crack in the ground, what should appear? A giant horned demon, a giant horned devil, and eight tiny demon deer. A black-eyed imp so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be satanic. More rapid than gargoyles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called him by name. Now Norman, now Leatherface, now Freddy, now Jason, on Reagan, on Falwell, on Bushy and Nixon. <laughs> to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now crush away, smash away, devour them all. As dry bones that before the wild tornado fly thundered in our ears and fire across our sky. 
So up to the house top the courses they flew with a sleigh full of weapons and satanic too. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each demon's hoof. As I drew my hand and double pumped my shotgun, our store of silver bullets would give them no fun. He was covered all in blood from his head to his foot. His eyes were black and he smelled of ashes and soot. A bundle of saws and knives had been flung on his back. Human hearts and human brains filled up his sack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his blades, how they keen. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a spleen. His chilly little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as dead bones. The stump of an arm he held tight in his teeth, and the blood had covered his face like a sheet. He had a broad face and a distorted, distended belly that shook when he cackled like petroleum jelly. He was obese and foul, a right crimson old elf, and I shivered when I saw him in spite of myself. With a wink of his eye, he twisted off a puppy's head that filled my wife and I with nothing but dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, destroying homes, eating neighbors, the whole thing berserk. A minute later, our aim true, he lay a, he lay a claw across his vest. Ten silver bullets had penetrated his chest. He sprang to his demons, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all fled like the thorn of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he fell into the crack, A happy Christmas for now, but I'll be back. Death Barge Gym by Kathleen Sheer Yeah. <laughs> Death Barge Gym. In his Russian great coat, slamming open the door with an unpardonable bang. And he has been here ever since. He changes everything, rearranges the furniture. His hand hovers by the phone. He will answer now, he says. He will be the answer. Tonight, he sits down to dinner at the head of the table as we eat, mute, Later, he climbs into bed between us. Even as I sit here, he stands behind me, clamping two colossal hands on my shoulders and bends down and whispers to my neck, from now on, you write about me. <laughs> Some say this rhythm doesn't mean anything. Others are not sure. There was a man who lived in me. He filled his garden full of seeds. And when the seeds began to grow, it was like a garden filled with snow. But when the snow began to melt, it was like a ship out the belt. And when the ship sailed, uh, when the ship began to sail, it was like a bird without a tail. And when the bird began to fly, it was like an eagle in the sky. And when the sky began to roar, it was like a lion at my door. Now come. And when the, the door began to crack, it was like a penknife in my back. And when my back began to bleed, I would get dead. Ah. <laughs> it has been said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I understand the sentiment behind the saying, but it's wrong. 
I entered the building on a bet. I was strapped for cash and didn't buy any of the old legends of the hotel to begin with, so 50 bucks was more than enough to get me to do it. It was simple, just reach the top floor, the 45th floor, shine my flashlight from a window. The hotel was old and broken, including the elevators, so that meant hiking up the stairs. Uh, so I went up the stairs. As I reached each platform, I noted the old brass plaques displaying the floor, num the floor numbers. 15, 16, 17, 18. As I felt, I felt a little tired as I crept up higher, but so far, no ghosts, no cannibals, no demons. Piece of cake. Can't tell you how happy I was as I entered that last stretch of numbers. I joyfully counted them aloud at each platform. 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 44. I stopped and I looked back down the stairs. I must have miscounted, so I continued up. 44, 44. One more flight, 44. And then down 10 flights, 44. 15 flights, 44. And so it's been for as long as I can remember. So really, insanity isn't doing something repeatedly and expecting different results. It's knowing that the same results will never change. That each door leads to the same staircase, to the same number. It's realizing you no longer fall asleep. It's no, not knowing whether you can live for days, or weeks, or years. It's when the sobbing slowly turns into laughter. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize y'all's neighborhood. And whomsoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. The foulest stench is in the air, the funk of 40,000 years. And grisly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. <laughs>